Yo, 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 Hospitality MD boys are back on Sunday night. It is 9.31 p.m. Eastern time here in Reading, Pennsylvania. Got Tom and Greg today as well. Tom, it's great to see you, man. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Great to be back. Welcome back. How was your trip? It was a blast. Uh, I hadn't had a trip like that in so long, so it was nice to get some time away with family. Uh, got to visit my brother. He's out there on the coast, so it was great. Was it just the Seattle area, or did you go venture off anywhere else? So we started in Seattle, uh, moved our way up to an area called Whidbey Island, and then from there moved up to Friday Harbor, back to Whidbey, and then we went back to Seattle. So it was a great time overall. And, and Dylan's right. <laughs> the biggest <laughs> news of the night. You can see Tom. Yeah, yeah, you can see Tom, and you can see the drip that everyone's wearing tonight. Uh, we're all kind of rocking our own hospitality MD swag. Um, Tom's got, or yeah, Tom and I have the T-shirts on. Greg, that's a trucker hat, right? That is a trucker hat. Yeah, very breathable, very practical. This is actually a very unique product because there's no other hat like this in the world. This is the only, the only one, the only yeah. one. Yeah, cool. Awesome. <laughs> um, well, what so, do we have today, Kyle? Tom, I I would I'm actually curious to hear more about your trip and everything. We had a great couple of shows while you were gone, yeah. not drinking tonight, Kyle. No, I uh, no, ah, fuck, I should have drank tonight. <laughs> um, it would have been a great night for it. Damn it, um, no, I I gotta you know be good on a Sunday night. Um, the next Tuesday, I'll drink on the show because um, I'll be coming straight from dinner at that point, and I'll definitely be have already been drinking, and then I'll just continue drinking. Uh, but thank you for being here, by the way. So anyway, I don't want to waste any more time. We got a great guest on the show tonight, which is actually a uh, pretty uh, decorated restaurant tour in the Chicago area, and the CEO and founder of ready beverage company and more specifically flora hemp spirits uh so without further ado let's welcome the man the myth the legend adam peabody to the pm shift my friend welcome welcome adam how's it going guys thanks for having me we're doing great and we're glad to have you um so tom and adam know each other why don't you tell us a little bit about that tom yeah, so Adam and I met very briefly at uh, the Pendry Chicago. Um, he had he was there for maybe two or three weeks longer after I had joined the, the company. So um, we actually shared a cubicle area. So he was just behind me to my What an right. honor. Oh, so, I'm so sorry, Adam. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> oh, that's no, great. no, Tom was a good cu- cubicle neighbor. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. It was fun. Well, and, cool. Uh, and, I had and now, heard that uh, he, he had started his own company, and that was why he was leaving. Mm-hmm. So I had to kind of have it in the back of my mind. Uh, I was like, hey, we'll have you on sometime. So I'm glad to actually have you on. Well, you know, so I think a lot of our, our people listening, like we get a lot of, and this is just true with, I think, generally speaking, like the majority of, of the hotel industry, because we think about the hotel industry, Um, you know, out of the 54,000 hotels in the United States, a small minutia of them, and I don't have the exact numbers on this, but a small minutia of them are actually full service hotels with robust food and beverage programs, like the world that Adam, you come from, and, you know, myself, Tom and Greg all know. Most hotels are select or upper mid-scale boxes with, with really no food and beverage or a very uh, kind of just amenity driven food and beverage component, Mm -hmm. which doesn't really, it's not designed to really add any value except for value to the brand or value to the rate or anything of that nature. So I want to kind of get a conversation and dialogue going with you, Adam, about like Mm -hmm. your, your understanding of food and beverage. So you hear it a lot when you're in the rooms division about like, you know, you don't understand F and B or you need to understand F and B. <laughs> you know exactly the verbiage that I'm talking about, right? You need to. Yeah. 
you need to understand. Yeah, nobody, nobody understands us. <laughs> yeah, like, I think and, uh, a, a mantra for the F and B department is nobody understands us. <laughs> right, and, like, and oh, rooms don't understand F and B, or front office doesn't understand F and B. Um, and sales yeah, doesn't understand F and B a lot of the time too. You yeah, have people yeah. are selling food <laughs> that don't understand food and beverage, um, which you know, again, as the more you sell it, the more you learn it. But even then, people, you know, there's from everywhere you got people who don't understand or if you're in rooms and you take over a hotel or try to take over a hotel and someone says you can't do it because you don't understand f and b so mm -hmm. like you you don't understand them as people or as an operation but also you don't <laughs> understand the nuances of food and beverage so if and i know i'm probably putting you on the spot here but if you had to summarize right. like what what does it mean to like get food and beverage? Like what are those like hot button, like big ticket restaurant and food and beverage items that like, if you were, if let's say you had somebody who was a, um, you know, really decorated rooms division executive, however, they knew nothing about food and beverage and they wanted to make that transition and help understand it. What kind of uh, curriculum would you give them? You know, that's a that's a tough question because I think a lot of F and B is, you know, in the little nuances where it's like um for me and one of the things that I always placed the most importance on was supporting my my team. Um but from a sales perspective to like an F and B perspective, it's like uh there's so many things that go on behind the scenes where like if somebody comes down and brings, you know, for instance in our case at Pendry, you know, an amenity for a fruit plate like what goes into getting that fruit plate up to a guest guest room. Like there's a lot of steps involved more than just like, oh, there's a fruit plate and like it needs to go up. Um, so right. I think that's uh, that's something that's often overlooked is like just the amount of steps uh, in between like, you know, just writing something on a piece of paper and like making it actually happen. Yeah, I would totally agree. And as someone who's relatively new, like I started my journey in rooms and then went into food and beverage, particularly catering. But uh, that was one of the first things that I really, really realized was like, you know, when somebody writes on the event order, your fruit basket or whatever, or an entree dish mm -hmm. or whatever, it's like, okay, so first of all, what are we putting it on? What's the, mm -hmm. what's the vessel yep. that's going to hold the food? And then, um, yeah what kind of fruit what's in season how are we cutting it are we cutting it how are we displaying it yeah going to be a garnish for it like how many people is it for and if so how much do we need to order if it's for a catering event how many hours is it going on for like what's mm -hmm. the how much time is it going to be out um you know oh it's a chicken with starch and vegetable okay so what kind of sauce are you doing? Is the color right? Is, mm -hmm. Does it look good? So I, I totally agree with you. I think that's probably, that's what I would say. Uh, so I, I think you're spot on on that. Um, so for somebody who's getting into it and it's like, okay, well, this is, you can't just write something on a piece of paper. You have to understand. How would you recommend yeah. that people learn that? Because that's not something that's like, you even have seasoned people, yeah. struggling, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's really just paying close attention to things. Um, it's I, I don't want to say nitpicking, but it is very much like just understanding like how certain very tiny details can affect the overall presentation of a dish or a cocktail or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, that's that's a big part of it is really just kind of like nitpicking and paying attention to the finer details of things. I remember, so this is Dylan chiming in. Uh, I yeah. remember the hassle of who and which department that were coding those complimentary amenities to what credit will F and B receive toward the transaction and, and who will deliver them. I think that's probably yeah. always been a contention, right, for everybody. What do you think about that, man? Yeah, that's like a, I was never big on the, I wasn't, I don't want to say petty, but I was never like a, a nickel and dimer when it came to like coding costs on amenities to people, which I, I believe that's what he's referring to. Yeah. Um, I, I was kind of like, you know, they we're all one team, one hotel, like, well, it's not making a huge dent in my PNL to have, you know, a, a cheese plate or a whatever coded to us on the costs. Um, 
we did actually it was interesting at pendry we charged uh like sales department full price for amenities so it was super weird actually really benefited our pnl um we were, <laughs> we, were getting, we were basically getting like full like what a guest would pay for an amenity on everything we sent up when sales would send one internally um but yeah that was never a hot button issue for me but yeah i do i do know a lot of particularly in the kitchen like the chefs they're very uh very proactive about making sure things are coded correctly and on the uh, correct PL when it comes to cost because they're usually under the gun for their food costs. Yeah, they want it at least to be charged somewhere so that they their food cost doesn't, uh, you know, yeah. doesn't deteriorate. But I do agree. I like your perspective. I share that perspective too because it's like, listen, if we didn't have this amenity, I wouldn't have you know a $100,000 program coming in we wouldn't have anything mm -hmm. like we're setting up an amenity and we're going to be arguing over where the expense is going and who's getting credit for it. Meanwhile, we wouldn't have any business. Let's just send up the amenity and like actually start focusing on the actual business that we've taken in. Uh, yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I was, I was lucky enough to never really have any um, super contentious months where I was like, really struggling to make my budget. Like we always, we always did pretty well. So it was always like exceeding budget. And it was kind of like, you know, we're not going to nitpick over who gets the cost on a, a meat and cheese board or whatever. So why don't you let people know, like, just so we, we have an idea of like, cause you, you've been, you were at Pendry, which maybe give people an idea of like what kind of food and beverage outlets you were in charge of and like what those concepts mm -hmm. were. You were at London house, which is for people in the Chicago market and even beyond that has a very like highly recognized, uh, particularly one outlet is it's incredibly, uh, uh yeah. high demand. Yeah, the rooftop. Right. Yeah. Tell us about all that, man. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, what do you want to know? Um, well, like, you know, just get people a little bit of a, of a, you know, uh, understanding of like, okay, you were, at London House, how many outlets did you oversee? What were they? What were yeah. the concepts? Yeah, uh, honestly, so at London House, my I oversaw uh, the I oversaw all outlets at London House, and it was the lobby bar, the Bridges lobby bar, the rooftop, uh, the twenty-first floor, which is kind of linked to the rooftop, but kind of a different outlet as well, and then the in-room dining. Uh, and those were. Uh, like you said, the rooftop was kind of like the primary focus of those outlets because it's such a high demand space. Um, you know, we have uh, quite a, we had a quite a good uh, lobby bar crowd though as well. I mean, people really like that lobby bar quite a bit. So that was uh, another big focus for us there. Um, and I, I, I don't know, have you guys all been to London House? Uh, the Absolutely. view there on the rooftop yeah. is, is spectacular. Um, and then when I went over the Pendry, it was... Uh, kind of a i would say a very similar environment i think london house is in our comp set so it was kind of a, a similar target um i would say uh a little bit of a different vibe in their spaces though in terms of like i i think pendry was a little more um like warm in the like the lobby bar because it wasn't like as brightly lit they kind of had like more of a like a fireside chat uh vibe going right. on in that bar pendry area um you know i think both places had a big focus on food um pendry was cool because they had uh a big focus on like classic cocktails in the lobby bar which is from my background i came from a beverage director background um so i was like you know super amped to be in a program that like really had a, a strong beverage focus um but the rooftop, uh, I would say very similar in terms of like what we were trying to do with the food and beverage program. I mean, obviously the sushi differed from what they did at London House, which is like American contemporary. Um, but from a beverage aspect, I mean, people like people want to drink what they want to drink on a rooftop. Like they're, right. they're pretty much, you know, cocktails are all like patio crushers, and like very citrusy, like, um, you know, clear spirits, uh, rooftop drinking stuff. So, so, what, so sorry, go ahead, Tom. So what um, what got you really interested in sophisticated cocktails and really just starting to think more about the drink side, the beverage side of things? Because a lot of F&B guys focus a lot on the food side. And I think Kyle's one of the food side guys. 
um, correct me if I'm wrong. But because I'm in catering, yeah, particularly. Yeah, but, we, I mean, but what caught your eye yeah. when it came to beverage, and why? Why is that like a sticking point for you? Do you think? Well, I, I think that's just because of how I came up in the industry. I mean, my background comes from, um, you know, bartending. Like I started off, you know, 10, 12 years ago, uh, bartending at nightclubs, bars. Um, and eventually I just really kind of gravitated towards, I started out kind of at places, beer and a shop places, uh, nightclubs were basically just serving one and ones. Um, and then I ended up getting uh, a position as the lead bartender, uh, at a place out in Lakeview where I kind of had control over like a cocktail program. Um, and it was very rudimentary. It wasn't anything super sophisticated, but I started, you know, playing with recipes and researching things. Um, and, you know, it's something that I really gravitated towards and something that I really enjoyed doing. Um, I think there's a certain, uh, there's just something about giving somebody a cocktail that like they feel like is really special, you know? Um, and it's, you know, I think you can do that with food um, just as easily. Uh, so I think those two things are, are definitely related, but the cocktail side of things was probably a little more attainable for me because, you know, I wasn't a culinary degree or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> what, good, yeah. what goes into building a good cocktail program or a good beverage program? What's the, uh, what's, I think, what's the uh, I think identity is it. probably the, the number one. I mean, well, I think aside from science, I think like you have to kind of lean into whatever you are, like your marketing department is doing um, and what they, or I guess like your brand team is doing uh, in terms of what they envision for the space. Um, I think having the identity of the space really helps you to craft a good cocktail program. And uh, I think in my particular case, like because both of these programs that I was at uh, hotel wise were in historic buildings, like leaning into history, leaning into some of the, the architectural history and some of the history of the building and, you know, some of the eras that, these buildings were, you know, built in. Um, that was something that I usually leaned into when when putting together a program. But um, yeah, it's it's always really cool to to work with beverages and kind of create unique drinks for people. Um, and and I loved it so much. I would actually be interested to know, like, if you could like actually walk us through a little bit of like, okay, so you know, London House or Pendry, like it's art deco. I, I, I don't know what it was 1920s or cause I'm, I'm ignorant to that, but like, okay, if you know that it's, if it's this from this time period, let's just say 1920s, then how do you, what's your actual thought process to developing the beverage program around that while also simultaneously being like, okay, just like you said, people are going to drink what mm -hmm. they want to drink at a rooftop bar and you want to put beverages out that mm -hmm. sell. So like, if you could go well, a little bit deeper into that strategy. Yeah. You, you know, you, if you look at it from this perspective, I think it really simplifies things like every single craft cocktail is a riff on a classic. So mm -hmm. like when you, when you go to a place and they have like a really cool list of signature cocktails, I mean, chances are they're all inspired by a classic somewhere, whether it's, you know, Vucare or, um, you know, last word or margarita like they all kind of have this build and then you just change the ingredients within that build to kind of fit what you want to do. So um, I remember I put together like one drink that we did for, for restaurant week uh, at London house where we were doing kind of like a 1920s steakhouse theme. Um, and like we paired it with uh, a Manhattan with like they had, I did some research and like there was this drink that originated in Chicago that was more or less like an old fashioned with like canned peaches. So like I put together this like Manhattan style drink with, with canned peaches. And it was like something that kind of fit like given restaurant weeks in February. So we weren't really worried about doing rooftop crushers, but it was something that, that really fit into like the concept that the chef was trying to do with, you know, the 1920 steakhouse vibe. It was something that spoke to like the Chicago heritage of the building. Um, and it was something, uh, that, that frankly tasted good. So <laughs> it really pleased everyone on all, all facets. 
I, I really love that. Um, I, I just want to just say that I, I think that was a great answer to the question. So thank you. Um, yeah. And as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, again, as Tom illustrated, as I'm, you know, in my catering life, like I find myself guilty of being like, okay, well, we're bringing a bar out. So let's make sure that we have cherries, oranges, lemons, mm -hmm. limes, you know, uh, simple syrup, yeah, sodas, club, tonic, like, let's make sure we have those things. And then cranberry juice, like all that shit that you can get in a yeah. bar. But like, now I'm thinking maybe every function should have a signature cocktail that we just it's included in the bar. Pet. I'm just thinking now for my own yeah. is what can I do? To yeah. Be more successful. Um, we, we put that together at Pendry. Actually, we did have a uh, cocktail options where like people would come and um, you know, and that type of stuff is, is I think you have to kind of look past the, because there are some people who are, who are very analytical about like their costs and like their margins on things. And you just kind of have to, um, break away from that a little bit if you want to do something like that, where it's like, you know, where you kind of make up your margins in different areas. And somebody wants to do that because obviously certain things are more expensive than others. But like anytime sales came and they were like, hey, we want to do, you know, a specialty cocktail for this guest. These are like some flavors that they really like. I was like, yes, every single time because I knew, A, we had the talent from our mixologist to put it together. Um, and B, I knew it would make the guests experience like super memorable. It's something that like you'll always remember that event if you have like your own custom cocktail at it. I mean, that like drives people crazy. Uh, so for for me, I think you make up anything that you lose in terms of costs because we had some on the menu that were like costed out that like, you know, an old fashioned or a margarita or whatever. And we knew the exact cost on it because we knew the products we were putting into it. But when somebody comes to you with a custom thing, you don't necessarily have that costed out and you're obviously not going to cost it out like a week out or, you know, just for this particular event. Um, but I think those things pay dividends in terms of repeat business and in terms of people um, just really having a memorable experience in your operation. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's really easy to make money one time, but it's mm -hmm. really difficult to make money over and over again and, and have a, you know, if you can get that date, rebooked again for the following year that's one day out of 365 that you don't have to worry about anymore in terms of of revenue and business coming in so i couldn't agree more with that long-term thinking um but with that being said uh i'd be interested to hear more i'm sure maybe you guys as well a little bit about like just a brief overview of the financials of the beverage side of the business like i i think a lot of us mm -hmm. know like you know 18 to 22% for beverage costs, like those, those sort of numbers. But mm -hmm. um, when you're, when you're doing uh, some more intricate and, and uh, uh, sophisticated items, like you're doing, what's your, what's your strategy when it comes to the, to the financial side of the, of, act, of, of making money um, and being successful? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I generally would, uh, so we have like reports, obviously that kind of tell you where you stand like month to date. Um, right. and what I would do is I would look at those and look at like, compare to where we are in the month and, um, basically adjust upwards or downwards in the different categories, uh, based on revenue. I think it's a pretty common practice throughout departments. Um, you know, if you see that you're crushing it, you obviously want to spend that money because, you know, ownerships, you know, like they're only looking for you to meet the budget and exceed it right. a little bit. They're not necessarily looking for you to blow it out of the water. So, you know, if you, uh, if you see an opportunity to, you know, purchase glassware in a month where you're absolutely crushing it, you know, you take advantage of those opportunities and the goal is really to come as close to your, to your budget, um, as possible. Uh, you don't, you don't necessarily, when I first started, I was like, I thought I was like crushing it. And like, I was at London house as my first, like, you know, GM of outlets position. And I thought I was like killing it because we were doing like 10, 15, 20 K over our budget, like every single month. And I was like, Oh, this is great. But then I sat down with the, the GM of the hotel. He was like, you know, he's like, you, you want to spend this money. Usually you don't want to like come <laughs> in just, just crushing your forecast because, you know, ownership just wants you to kind of beat or exceed a little bit. And like, 
a lot of times they actually look at it, you know, when you go way over and they think we're sandbagging our, our budgets. Right. So I was like, all right, you know, like, so that, that was a lesson that I kind of learned to, to make adjustments and spend money when you have it. Um, but, you know, I think what, what you're looking to do is kind of like you said, get a certain margin on um, you're really making your money and kind of like your well stuff, uh, your your lower. I don't want to say lower end because none of the programs that sure. I ran really had low end options. Uh, even our lowest end stuff was was still pretty high end. Um, but you're, you're making a lot of your margins on like, you know, the house reds, the house whites, uh, you know, the well, uh, the well spirits that you kind of have deals with suppliers with. Um, and then on the higher end stuff, you're, you're not making very good margins at all. So like it kind of balances out in the long run. Like I always looked at, um, like very high end offerings, particularly in like the wine program, you know, like your Opus ones, your Camuses and stuff like that. Um, your DRCs and places that have those things. Uh, those are kind of like marketing tidbits where you like, you really lean into those for marketing and you just, uh, cause you're not going to make a ton of money on those. Like on a, a bottle of Opus one, I think you're making maybe like a, like 50% markup, um, versus like a, a bottle of or a glass of house wine. I mean, you're probably making two or three times the bottle on one glass. Right. So, <clears throat> so I think in terms of beverage, you're making your money on all the, the well products, the things that people drink more frequently. Well, and I think like the same thing can be said for the food part of it. Like, you know, if there, you know, your ribeye on your menu might be a 60% yeah, exactly. food cost but you it's mm -hmm. part of the menu so it's a strategy and it has mm -hmm. to be on the menu and, and you know you sell it in, in complements with everything else but you know you know that that you know 18 dollars caesar salad or or the you know the other items on the menu that sell well or that chicken sandwich that sells really well <laughs> is really going to be where you make your money so um yeah I sides see, yeah. fries stuff like that so let's see andrew tom why don't you take it um, all right, so Andrew commented, and this is going to give us a great opportunity to move into the, the flora conversation. Diving deeper mm -hmm. into the uh, past hemp CBD, once the legal barriers against THC usage in public dining drinking venues come down, will drinks and food with THC be something that catches on in the mainstream, mm. or will it be a niche product that is offered in THC-focused venues only? And this question will kind of couple with a question that I had coming mm -hmm. into the conversation, which is, say I'm an owner operator of a hotel or a, maybe even a small mom and pop bar. Do I need any special licensing to get into hemp or a CBD or THC? Products? Yeah. So, so now we're, we're going down the rabbit hole, uh, just, just full <laughs> force. Um, to, to, so <laughs> we'll rewind a little bit. Uh, sure. This is yeah, kind of why we founded our company, uh, <laughs> our company in the first place. Um, you know, in the United States, they have distinctions between cannabis and hemp. But at the end of the day, it's the same plant. Um, cannabis is classified as anything containing over 0.3% uh, delta 9 THC. Hemp is anything below that threshold. So um, our company flora hemp spirits was founded with the broader vision of bringing these cannabinoids to mainstream markets to hotels bars restaurants so <clears throat> excuse me uh we operate on the hemp side of things so our uh our products are actually 100 legal today to bring in both thc mm -hmm. and cbd because they're hemp derived um, and this has actually been ruled upon multiple times in, in federal appellate courts. Um, so to, to kind of get deeper in and answer Andrew's question, um, we have bars and restaurants that are, would, that you would not think of as THC focused who serve THC cocktails. We call them can of cocktails. Um, they're kind of like it's not a mocktail, but it's not an alcoholic cocktail either. It's like a cocktail that gives you a little THC buzz instead of a, an alcohol buzz. Um, and we serve those at bars and restaurants across Chicago right now and even in some other states. 
can you get behind the <laughs> wheel of a vehicle after even consuming one of those? Like, yeah. So, so that's, how does that work? It's all kind of like the wild west right now. Um, and to answer your question, like from us as a, like our, our perspective as a brand is like, we try to take on a certain amount of social responsibility for these things. But I think there's a, a significant lapse in a lot of the federal, federal regulation and even like the state regulation on these things, because <clears throat> one, they don't really have a way to test for it. But two, because of this hemp and cannabis distinction that they have, um, there's really no regulations on what you can and can't do in the hemp space. Like we're working with hemp derived THC, which is uh, the Delta eight isomer of THC versus Delta nine isomer of THC, which is the one that's, you know, super regulated. You have to transport the product, farmer cars, uh, you have to store it at a, a secured facility, all that good stuff. Whereas we operate in the hemp space, um, there's none of that really. Uh, we don't have to, you know, deliver things in armored cars. We don't have to. Um, we we are FDA registered, but we don't have to be. Uh, you know, we don't have to. Technically, we don't have to sell to people over the age of 21, but we do. Um, so it's it's just an interesting space right now. And it's so young because obviously these things kind of just started uh, being legalized recently. Um, you know, I think there's, there's definitely a lot of work to do on the regulation side, but uh, the hemp space remains largely unregulated in terms of things like driving. I know there's a bill in Congress right now um, for, for cannabis in particular uh, talking about department of transfer, uh, Department of Transportation needing to develop some method of testing drivers for this stuff. Um, but right now they really don't have anything like that. So, so there's no alcohol in the cocktail. So it's a, it's a, the, the spirit is hemp, if you will. Is, is that correct? Yeah. So the, the overall premise of flora itself is mindful drinking meets cannabis so you know you have like and i'm not sure if you guys are, are really in touch with this type of stuff but like you have this huge kind of mindful drinking movement yeah um you know products like seed lip uh ritual which, which is actually based here in chicago these are uh were kind of like the first spirit alternatives and they were around when we founded our company in 2019 um our <clears throat> approach to um mindful drinking was all right well these beverages exist and you know it's a great concept but what can we do to make these beverages adult and what can we do to make these beverages fun functional so you know seed lip and ritual and i don't want to like bash anyone's brand sure. but they don't really have an, an active ingredient um it's it's more or less just like something a placebo you know it's i feel like i'm drinking a cocktail there's no active ingredient in it that really makes it an adult drink or a cocktail so our whole entire premise was like, let's introduce functionality to mindful drinking um, and introduce cannabinoids into a spirit alternative, which is what the flora bottles are. And I you know, have one right here. It's packaged to look kind of like alcohol. Um, it's it was it's made kind of in a similar process that you would use to make alcohol. However, it's not alcoholic and the cannabinoids are kind of the alcohol. That's a really lovely packaging, by the way. Just want to. Yeah, say I was just you. gonna say that's a beautiful bottle. Thank you. Yeah, that would look Very really, really nice. Uh, you know, sitting on a back bar, you know, somewhere. Um, yeah. But yeah, also, sure. kind of ties into you know the first part of our conversation about when you're doing food and beverage, what people underestimate is are those details. So it's one thing to say, here's our cannabinoid infused cocktail alternative but it's another thing to say okay we're gonna have what color is the wax and is it gonna be melted over that oh time? Like, man now, we're really, shit, now right? we're really going down the rabbit hole yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah man dude designing designing a beverage product is like is crazy i mean just like every single word on this bottle like on the back i like sat there probably like vexed over for like <laughs> yeah. hours and hours on end like every little thing you know like the color of the wax, like how you're going to have people peel it off easily, like with the filament tape. Um, yeah, there's if, if hotels are nuanced, like designing consumer packaged goods is like ultra nuanced. 
Yeah, but seriously, ultimate respect for putting together a great product. Uh, I missed that comment, by the way. I didn't know if that oh, was. Oh, that was Dylan saying it sounds like the product's developing years faster than the accurate needed regulation. I mean, and that, that, mm -hmm. that comes in with the with the element of social responsibility because obviously you're operating within a space that is not heavily re regulated right mm -hmm. now, so you've got to approach it from the sense of kind of self-regulation or making sure yep. that you're being responsible. And One, 100%. Product. Um, and I actually noticed inside of your Medium article, um, you had mentioned that there's kind of that degree of social responsibility as an innovator in a space. Mm -hmm. Um, this is my only hard-hitting question for the entire show, so you got to forgive me. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, for for the question, but um, in a lot of ways, this is kind of being positioned as a non-alcoholic beverage alternative, um, kind of marketed in a way, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, towards uh, people that are non-alcoholic or alcoholics uh -huh. no longer yeah, drinking yeah. alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you worried at all as a socially responsible innovator um, that this might lower the inhibitions of somebody to drink alcohol again or to kind of be a relapse indicator? Damn, that's a heavy uh, question. Yeah, that is, that is a heavy <laughs> um, Damn, all right. <laughs> no, you know, and, and, you know, these are, these are definitely things that we, we considered. Um, but our, I guess our, philosophy is i don't think that i mean listen alcohol is literally everywhere like the like if you want to get your hands on some alcohol you can get your hands on some alcohol it's all over the place and i think our argument is like thc cbd cannabinoids in general i mean they they should be as socially accepted if not more as alcohol so i mean for us you know i don't think that I don't think there's any correlation like with our product and people, you know, necessarily drinking alcohol more. Um, what we found from the people who do use our product is it's actually helped them to wean away from drinking alcohol. I mean, we have specific use cases um, that I didn't obviously bring to highlight, but where people are like, literally like this changed my life, you know, it's like a totally different thing and they don't feel the attachment to cannabinoids that they feel to alcohol where it's like, this is something I can still drink. I can still get a little buzz. Um, and there's definitely a little bit of a debate where like, is this like for, for people who are like sober, like that want to like be totally sober? Um, is this still like in that realm? And I would say no with the THC option, but I would say yes with the CBD option. And we kind of designed the products to have those options for for whatever you want to do with it. We're very clear with the marketing. We're very clear on the pages. And like when people go to purchase, like, hey, this product has THC in it. This product has CBD in it. This one's for people who want to stay totally sober and not feel any sort of psychoactive effect. And this one's for people who want to catch a little THC buzz while they're out socializing. So um, I'm just curious now because I'm thinking like if this is unregulated and I can purchase this, like I might want to just bring some in and see what we can do here in the hotel. Um, <laughs> Makes a great nightcap, certainly. Yeah. Um, so, it, the, like the bottle that you had, like, does that get mixed with something, or is that basically you just pour it over ice, or like, how do you serve this product to people? Yeah. So we uh, we recommend people use it similar in the same way they would use a gin or a vodka. So I mean, you can shoot it if you want to. You can sip it on the rocks if you want to. Um, we predominantly recommend that people use it in a cocktail. Um, you can pretty much look up any gin or vodka recipe and you can uh, you can basically substitute flora for gin or vodka in any recipe. You know, you can make a French 75 or and and now there's so many great alcohol alternatives out there, like particularly in like the wine and beer category. Like I had a Heineken 0.0 .0 the other day and I was like, holy shit, this tastes like beer. Like it's, it's great. It's not like it's not like Odul's back in the day where that was like the only yeah. non-alcoholic option you had. Um, like Heineken, that that blew my mind. It was like two nights ago, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is like it tastes like beer. It satisfies that craving for a beer without having to drink any alcohol." Um, and so, like, you can get super creative with our product and some of these, like, you know, non-alcoholic wines and non-alcoholic beers and stuff like that to put together like really cool cannabinoid cocktails for your program. Does it have like a bite like alcohol has or like, how is it like? Yeah. Okay. Nice. <laughs> it's That's not, cool, it's not the same. It's not right. the same. So 
Uh, hemp is naturally bitter, and there's a, a science behind that that I won't really get into. But hemp is naturally bitter. Um, so when you infuse it into a water soluble product, like it's it's naturally bitter. So we have we've had people compare it to like Alpine Amaro or like just like a, a little bit like a, a more bitter like liqueur. Um, there's no sugar in it. It's calorie free. Um, but that is kind of like our alcohol. Well, that's a that's a big selling point. Yeah, that in no, and of itself. Sure. That's huge. Yeah, um, it's because I have conversations free. with people probably on a weekly basis who say. I'm taking a break from alcohol because I just want to lose a little weight. And I know that if I stop drinking for a couple of weeks, I'll naturally just shed a few pounds as a result of not consuming yeah. so much sugar and calories. Um, so that even yeah, you will. was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know yeah, anything about that, but you know, some yeah. people do. <laughs> so Dylan's asking yeah. how the out of state sales fared. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, we're actually a lot bigger uh, outside of Illinois than we are inside of Illinois. And I think that's mostly just because we're operating on a small team. So our marketing is all um, we're, we're almost 100 percent digital. So pretty much everything is uh, like it's we don't have a huge ground force selling the product in Chicago. So like a lot of people see us in other states and they bring the products on. Um but, you know, we, we've done fairly well in pretty much any market that we've entered. Did you Have you been at any trade shows? Like, did you do, like, the NRA or anything? Like, have you been at any of those? The next Malort? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> God, he's, man, he's that's a below it. the he's belt. tried it before. Yeah, that's bogus. <laughs> yeah, man, just eradicate that comment from the feed. And for, yeah. for those of you who don't know, Malort is a um, – like Dylan, you you probably don't know what that is. It's it, it's a liqueur that I guess is it's a it's they're made in Chicago or what? Is, yeah, yeah. It was it was made by a Swedish guy with no taste buds and smoking <laughs> cigars, so it's yeah. not exactly a compliment. It's um, like one of those but, things that every time someone like a friend visits from out of town and you're drinking with them, it's like. I'll get this guy a shot of Malort, and then everyone's like, "What?" Malort? Well, you give him the Chicago handshake. It's the shot of yeah. Malort in the PBR or old style or something. Yeah, Chicago handshake. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, but I think Justin probably meant it more as iconic next yeah. Malort coming yeah, out. Yeah, no, I know. We'll let's, we'll go with that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does oh. it take? Um, like, I see this being a a supplement or a complement to beverage programs around the country. Mm -hmm. um, what does it take to get started with Flora? And what does it take to, to, to kind of get your eyes on the mixology behind incorporating that into one of your programs? Yeah. I mean, honestly, so, so one of the great things about uh, the non-alcoholic space is we actually aren't limited um, by the three tier system that alcohol companies are. So, I mean, we, we distribute directly to people. We're in talks with some larger distributors to potentially carry the product nationally. Um, but for now, we self-distribute, and we've been pretty successful at it. Um, all of our out-of-state people, more or less, they we offer free priority shipping on all of our wholesale uh, orders. And, you know, all of our out-of-state people basically just place orders through our website. Uh, we ship the product to them free priority, gets their you know, a day or two, depending on where they're at. Um, and they can basically implement these, you know, spirits into their cocktail programs immediately. We're also, uh, uh, one of the most more recent things that we actually did is I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with, with Provi. Um, but Provi is actually a Chicago based company. It's a, think a, so. yeah, it's, it's kind of like an Amazon for, uh, liquor ordering. Okay. So it's like, and the U.S. Aren't, aren't in food and beverage, you would know, but order guides used to be like the thing where you would have all of your, you have like, you know, whatever it is, a thousand SKUs in your hotel beverage program. And like you have all these SKUs are all distributed by different people. So like you have to, you used to have to have like this binder with like a spreadsheet that had like everybody's like the spirit and like who distributes it. And then if something changed, like you'd have to chase it down. With Provi, you basically, it's all that stuff is online and you just add all these things to your cart and you check out on Amazon and it'll text your your rep and basically place the order for you. So it's like basically just taking all that stuff nice. and putting it in one spot to consolidate it. 
Um, so we actually just struck a deal with them to be the first THC product offered on Provi, um, which is huge for nice. us because yeah, they're, they're a huge company. I mean, I think they just raised close to a billion dollars. Um, and uh, in my mind, from somebody who's used it on, you know, the F and B side of things, it really is kind of the future of like, of adult beverage product fulfillment. So, um, we just struck a deal to be available on Provi. So you can place orders directly through Provi. If you already place your orders through Provi, like you can literally just throw it in your cart and place the order. And then we'll reach out to you with, you know, kind of to set up an account and we'll send you the product. So I'm not in Chicago. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm just wondering, like, can one bottle be ordered or is it basically you, you have to place an order by the case? I live in Pennsylvania. We, uh, yeah, yeah, we, uh, well, for wholesale, for wholesale accounts, we usually do, uh, we sell by the case. We will sell one bottle. I mean, you don't really get significant price. Uh, you don't really get significant price breaks though on one bottle. I think it's like $5 off the retail price or something like that. Yeah. Like I guess but like, but I could as an individual on, on a case. place an order, right? Like if I wanted to go online yeah. and buy one bottle for me, but basically we bring it into the hotel, try it, and then we can open up an account from there if we want to incorporate it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so 100%. Do... And I can even, yeah, and we, so everything's handled. If you were to go directly to our website, like we have a wholesale platform on the website that would allow you to directly place wholesale orders. So you can place a retail order just like a normal person, see if you like it. And then if you do, we can convert that to a wholesale account. And then you basically you know, can place all your wholesale orders. You can order as little as one bottle. Um, and then you can get significant price breaks if you're doing, you know, a case or four cases or whatever it is. That's, that's great. I, I definitely like, mm -hmm. I'm intrigued. basically knowing that there's no regulation. Now I'm just like, all right, like, I don't <sighs> give a fuck. I'm just going to order it and start messing well, around with it. Yeah, no. So in, yeah, in Pennsylvania, you're good. It, it's not no regulation. There's no regulation at the federal level because it's hemp. So hemp uh, is basically declared to be legal at the federal level. Um, going down to states individually, some have legalized, some have decided to keep it illegal. So um, Pennsylvania, you'd be good. Uh, in, in certain other states like Idaho, you wouldn't be. Uh, Idaho sure. doesn't really allow very much uh, <laughs> cannabis product in there. They actually only we can sell the CBD version in Idaho, but only because it's made with uh, it's the CBD is extracted from the stalk and not the flower. So like you can't extract the CBD from the actual flower. It's got to be extracted from the stalk. How they tell My the God, difference, man. I have no friggin idea. I have no idea. But yeah, That's we can sell nuts. the CBD in Idaho. Yeah. So well, we're kind of kind of wrapping up soon, but there was a second port, a second part of Andrew's question that I wanted to to kind of come back to as we bring mm -hmm. this to a close, um, and I think it'll be a perfect cap on this. Um, do you think that these drinks are something that'll catch on the mainstream, or it'll be more of a niche product? I have an idea of what your answer will be, but I want you to elaborate on why you think that it's going to do what it does. No, I mean, these, listen, I, I'm extremely confident that these are going to be part of the mainstream. And I think you just have to look at kind of um, the statistics. I mean, if you live in the numbers, like people are drinking less and less over the past like two years. I think literally now it's like 165 million Americans or like 50% of Americans either have one or zero drinks a week. That's me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like there's literally a ton of people who don't drink at all. Um, and with that, the number of Americans who are using cannabis and using cannabinoids is increasing and right. getting to the, that 50% mark. So now we're pretty much 50% of Americans are using cannabinoids. 50% of Americans are not drinking. I think, you know, the next logical step is like, you know, why not? I mean, these people still need to socialize. These people still want to go to events where people are drinking. And like, it's, it's weird to be like singled out or like have to drink club soda. Like you should be able to drink an adult beverage. Uh, and that's kind of what our brand stands for is, you know, providing an adult beverage option for people who don't want to consume alcohol. And I think it's absolutely going to be a huge thing in bars, restaurants, clubs, everywhere. 
because I mean, honestly, how many times I think everyone woken up one day and been like, I'm never drinking again. Like, <laughs> like after a night yeah. of partying where like you're, you wake up, you're super hungover and you're like, Oh my God, I'm never drinking again. Like we're kind of giving people a chance to actually see that through. Like, <laughs> and, and myself, like, you know, coming from hospitality, there's a big part of the culture it surrounds alcohol, you know, where like everyone goes out for like shift drinks or, you know, not really in the hotel side, but in the bar side, certainly like after you get done, you like crack open a beer at the bar and like you drink while you're closing. Um, and I think for us, we're providing an avenue, you know, that, you know, one has zero calories Two, I, I don't want to go out there and say like, Hey, hemp is healthier than alcohol but i think like there's definitely some science to support that um so like i think what we're doing is providing an, a healthier adult beverage option for people and kind of like you know we want it to exist alongside alcohol uh we want it to kind of be offered in the same places that alcohol is offered for people who just prefer cannabinoids to alcohol there's a lot of those people out there that's that's great um i'm certainly interested like i said i'll be placing an order messing around with it. I, when you can't argue with the fact that people are drinking less than they have in human history, probably, and mm -hmm. cannabis use is rising. So we're going to be at this, like, you know, kind of precipice here where, where things start to shift. So you're on the cutting edge of it, but as a, mm -hmm. as hospitality organizations, we should all be on the cutting edge of it because mm -hmm. we don't want to be left behind yeah. with you know yeah regular spirits and then you know oranges limes cherries you know yeah that just like i talked <laughs> yeah. about earlier like i don't yeah. want to be yeah, there anymore stuff, yeah. so um yeah. we're anyway so you're doing great yeah, thank you so much for being on the show yeah of course thanks for having me it was a pleasure yeah, all right I would, and, i'd love and, to to get a bottle of it to mix into my alcoholic beverage to to get a little bit of both worlds. Oh, uh, we frowned frown upon that. We frowned upon that. We, uh, <laughs> the CBD one, that's cool. The THC one, we totally frowned upon that. We tell all of our bar and restaurant customers, like, hey, just make sure you're not, like, serving this to people who have been drinking a ton or, like, mixing this into alcoholic cocktails. <laughs> it's actually a really good point, Tom. Um, yeah. Now I have I have my own thoughts in my mind that I'm looking for. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> Thank you so much for your contributions, Adam. You've been great, yeah, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into the PM Chef with Hospitality MD. Make sure you connect with Adam on LinkedIn so you can keep up with what he's up to. And then, uh, you know, obviously for everybody out there, make sure to subscribe, turn on notifications, like, comment, share, etc. We will see you on Tuesday with uh, more conversations at night. Have a good night. Catch you around, guys. Yep. Thanks a lot.